When I think of might, I often think of muscular people who can lift heavy weights and bodybuilding people who pose. Sometimes might can refer to the size and physical strength of people, but it can also refer to so much more. In this episode of Groundwork, we want to talk about the concept of might, especially in the context of God and how that can give us hope in any situation we might find ourselves in. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. And I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are in episode two of our four-part series on Advent, where we're exploring the names of God given in Isaiah 9, you know, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And this episode, we want to talk about mighty God. And later on, we'll talk about the other names. Exactly. Uh, and there's something that we, we mentioned uh, in the first episode on wonderful counselor. We, went, we mentioned in the first part of that episode that sometimes um, in older Bible translations, wonderful and counselor were made two separate names, and you hear it in Handel's Messiah. But it's actually each of these four names are a doublet, two words each. But there's something else going on here, Daryl, that you've, you've noticed, that as you divide uh, those two word titles, there's a little bit of the divine and a little bit of the human in both, in all of them. So if you think about John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So we know that when we study God's word, that we find that Jesus is 100% divine and 100% human. Mm. And we know that and we hold both of those together because Jesus is very unique in nature. And so if you look at these names, you will see a divine and human aspect, even though they're compound names. So we see wonderful. That is definitely something that is a divine title. I mean, no one is beyond the wonder of God. And counselor is something that actually humans can do. We can counsel one another. We can encourage one another and use God's word as a tool to do that. Same with mighty God. Mighty is something that people can do in their strength. I talked about that in the intro, but God definitely is divine. And then also the everlasting father. Well, we, we know what fathers are from the human side, but to be everlasting, that's a divine trait. Prince of peace, we have princes in our world, but only God can bring shalom. Only God can bring the peace, which we'll look at in the final episode of this series. Jesus is fully divine and fully human, and these titles reflect both divinity and humanity as well. And so today we're looking at mighty God, the second one. And clearly, Daryl, this cannot be the characteristic ultimately of any human king or ruler. You know, at the time when Isaiah wrote Isaiah 9 and gave us these four titles, Hezekiah was probably the king for at least part of that time. But we're not talking about Hezekiah here. We're talking about one who can only be God. Or think of the next chapter, Isaiah 10, 21, a remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God, not to any human king or ruler, but to God alone. Isaiah is trying to make sure that they see a divine intervention into their situation. There's no human king that's going to be able to turn this around for them. They're going to, not going to have another conquering hero like they did in David's time or like a judge they had in, in Joshua's time. No, this is something only God can fix because their problem came from being exiled due to their forsaking God and sinning against God. You told us in the first episode, Scott, that we're in the judgment section, mm-hmm. even though we're seeing these words of hope. So God God wants to make sure that they know they're not going to be wiped out by the judgment that is happening, but there will be a light in the midst of darkness. That's encouragement. 
because the mighty God will finally be the one who will restore them. And uh, ultimately, of course, this is going to be Jesus Christ, 700 years or so before Jesus is born. Isaiah's um, foreseeing all of this, predicting this, both foretelling and forthtelling, which is always a characteristic of biblical prophecy. It's yeah. not just telling the future, foretelling. It's forthtelling a, a truth that we also need to know. And so we're going to need this Messiah. And so mighty God, very, very interesting to think about. What does that mean beyond f- sheer physical strength? So in this section, when you're talking about mighty God, it's important for us to think about not just the deeds of God, which are important, but also the character of who God is in the situation. You want to think about God's glory, honor, and strength and victory. And we actually sing songs about this. Hmm. We sing songs about God's strength, God's power, God's majesty. But we need to understand that we're not trying to go triumphalist in this. We're not trying to act like there's no issues and there are no problems, but we want to make sure that we put God in his rightful place. He is above all of that stuff and nothing is too hard for him. And the mighty God concept will help us to actually understand that. I think it gave Israel some hope in the middle of a despairing situation. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've observed, and I think uh, you and I have probably preached about this in our sermons, and uh, I'm sure this has come up in past Groundwork episodes too, but the one thing that I'm, we're going to look at some Psalms in the next part of this program, uh, ones that really punch the, the awesomeness of God. But one, the other thing that you see all the time in the Psalms is that what really gobsmacked the Israelites, what really made their jaws drop open, wasn't just that God is almighty and strong and so forth. You know, the Greek gods like Zeus, you know, that's all they yeah. were. They, they were just strong and they were terrifying and they were powerful and they could unloose lightning bolts and so forth, right? But in the Psalms, like in Psalm 8, or Psalm 113, what really gobsmacked the Israelites was that all that almighty power didn't keep God from being tender with us, that, that God yes. could make his power small, that he could come to us. What, you know, what are human beings that you should care for, as Psalm 8 says? But you do. You know, or Psalm 113, God sees women who are struggling to get pregnant. He sees people who cry. He sees Hannah, the mother of Samuel, right? Yeah. God is always taking all that power and channeling it right into our little hearts. And that's an amazing juxtaposition, that the mighty God we serve— can come to us in our littleness and not blow us away, but elevate us and love us and care for us. It's beautiful, too, to see that God himself does that in the incarnation. For a God to be so great and mighty to become a helpless babe is something that is nothing short of miraculous. And to live a life in this finite suit called humanity and continue to live the way that we are called to live and endure the suffering that we have endured, that is something only a mighty God can do. And if God can do all of those things, not even just the big things, but also the small things to walk with us in our times of need, it takes a mighty God to become very small. And I like what you said about the incarnation. Philip Yancey, among other writers, has influenced me on this. But, you know, when you think about it, Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, right? Existed from all eternity. The New Testament teaches that he was the active power in creation. When God said, let there be light, it was the Word of God, the Son of God speaking those words. Wow, just hugely galactic in power, right? And yet— when the incarnation happened, he became microscopic. You know, yeah. a zygote in a woman's womb is microscopic. 
And that was where God was, all of God's mighty power that you can only see under a microscope. And then even once he's born, yeah, just a helpless little baby. That is the awesomeness of God's power, that it always comes in service to us. So as we continue in this study, in the next segment, we're going to talk about what it means to be mighty, and we're going to see it in the psalm. So stay tuned. This December, you're invited into a community on Chicago's South Side to meet some of the people there, listen to their stories, and witness where God's Spirit is at work in one corner of creation. Join Pastor Joe Heisinger for this special Today devotional to pause, slow down, and reflect on how the love of God in Christ Jesus is being lived out in the neighborhoods and communities around you. Join today in December for this series of devotions titled, God With Us. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And let's jump right back in, Daryl. And we've been talking about the Psalms and, and the way the Psalms express the might and the power of God. We're looking at that messianic title from Isaiah 9, Mighty God. Let's just take a quick tour through the Psalms and pick up some key verses on that theme. Psalm 24, verse 8 says, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And Psalm 29, 4 says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. Psalm 68, 33, to him who rides across the highest heavens, the ancient heavens, who thunders with a mighty voice. Or Psalm 89, verse 8, who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty. Your faithfulness surrounds you. Psalm 93, verse 4, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Psalm 96, 4 says, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. And in Psalm 150, the last Psalm, verse 2 says, Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. So these verses, Scott, it's just a smattering of there's so many, but you want to think about it in this context where whatever you think is mighty on this earth that brings you fear and trembling, God is mighty or God is par excellence. He's above the things that make us kind of tremble in our boots because he is the mighty God. They're showing all types of different circumstances that God is better than and greater than in the Psalms. Yeah, and I like one of the ones we quoted just a minute ago is Psalm 29. And anybody who's ever read Psalm 29, knows that it's about a thunderstorm roaring across a lake and coming toward you. And those of us who live in Michigan, we've seen those storms come across from Wisconsin, come across Lake Michigan. And, you know, it starts as a distant rumble, and then it gets louder, and then it gets darker, and the wind kicks up. And all of that is awesome, the lightning, the, 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 the thunder. And Psalm 29 says... And God's bigger than that. <laughs> Our God does have that kind of amazing power. And as we said in the previous segment, what really stunned Israel was not just that, but that God could harness all that power and put it in service of little old us to love us and to save us. But don't ever be mistaken. God is the galactically awesome one. Awesome God, right? You said songs we sing, awesome God. That is who God is. I'm glad that you mentioned the word awesome, Scott, because these psalms are designed to make us look up and 
understand how big and transcendent mm. God is, they're supposed to bring awe to us. And my definition of awe is when your jaw drops and you have nothing left to say. Mm. When you see God lifted up, when you see God as he proclaims to be, nothing left for you to say. Like, oh my goodness, you are God. You're greater than us. And you love us. So the fact that you're big, you could destroy us, but you choose to show us mercy. And I think that's what Israel needed in this time because they're in a dark time and they need the light of hope in this situation. And that's what chapter nine is explaining to them. There is hope coming. You know, three chapters earlier here in Isaiah, in Isaiah six, when Isaiah is called, he sees God yeah. high and lifted up and he hears the heavenly chorus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And what does he say? I think I'm finished here. I'm Woe is me. I This is too awesome for me. And, and of course, the angel comes and touches him and says, no, nope, you're okay. God's not here to blow you away, literally, but this is the God you serve. And, you know, again, Daryl, uh, in Isaiah, the Israelites are on the cusp of going into exile. And in exile in Babylon, far from home, you know, we remember Psalm 137. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? We're so far from home. They needed to be bucked up by this vision of a mighty God in the coming Messiah. They needed to know that that is who God was going to be for them and would always be for them. God is a God of hope and he can bring hope into any hopeless situation. You felt discouraged. You felt stuck. You felt alone. You felt lost. I know I have. And, and God has found ways to bring people around me and resources around me to let me know that he hasn't forgotten about me, that he can address the situation that I am in and that I can be encouraged knowing that the mighty God is working on my behalf. When God does intervene, if he chooses to in his own sovereignty, it doesn't happen the way we think it should, and it doesn't always happen the way we expect, does it, Scott? Well, right, and that actually leads us into sort of the New Testament. When Jesus of Nazareth came as the Messiah, as the mighty God, a lot of the disciples, in a time of political occupation by Rome, what they really wanted, they thought, what they really needed most of all, they thought, was political liberation. So they were hoping that Jesus would be the one to get rid of Pontius Pilate, get rid of King Herod, and above all, get rid of the Caesar and take his place. In fact, they persisted in that belief all the way into the book of Acts, right on the day of the ascension, 40 days after Easter, the disciples gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' almighty power as the mighty God is going to come differently to the world, and it's not going to be in the political way some people were hoping. So when Jesus goes to die on the cross and he resurrects, that was totally not what they were expecting. Right. They were expecting maybe David 2.0 or another conqueror like Joshua to take care of Rome. But of course, he came to do something far more important, which is to deal with the sin in our hearts, the ruler in our hearts, if you will. God will often answer a situation in his wisdom and his mighty power a way different than we expect. And that we need to submit to and trust his methods in that because it might not materialize the way we expect. And that ties in with our first episode on Wonderful Counselor, where we said, too, that in the wisdom of God, which looks foolish to the world, right, looks like getting saved by a crucified guy, doesn't look very wise, but it is wise. That is the counsel we need to take. We need to uh, adopt Jesus' posture. By the way, 
uh, Daryl, uh, some of our, our listeners probably know that in the New Testament, there is this thing in all the Gospels that comes across really clearly in Mark called the Messianic Secret. Oh, yeah. Every time somebody tried to publicly identify Jesus as the Son of God or the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus said, shh, 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 be quiet. Don't, don't talk about that yet. Don't talk about that yet. Why not? Because Jesus knew that they were ready to coronate him as king right then and there, right? They, they, they wanted to rush in and make him the new Caesar to take Caesar's place and reestablish the political nation of Israel. So until Jesus could be crucified and then show in that way that that is how you get things done as the mighty God, only then. That's why the, the only person in the New Testament who ever identifies Jesus publicly as the Son of God and is not told to be quiet is the soldier at the cross. Right. Surely this was the Son of God. And now that he was dead, it was safe to say that because now we know how God is going to use his mighty power uh, to save us. Well, as we wrap up this episode in a minute, we're going to want to look a little bit more at the New Testament and some takeaways for our lives. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork Conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And we are in part two of our four-part serials in Advent. Last episode, we talked about Wonderful Counselor. This episode, we're talking about Mighty God. And that is a title that can only be given to a divine being. It can't be given to a human person. And even though some scholars thought that it was Hezekiah that would be doing that, actually, Isaiah is saying, no, this has to be our Messiah, the one we're looking for. And that hope comes in the midst of discouragement. And we've said, too, that the Psalms make clear, we read a whole bunch of them in the previous part of this program, the Psalms make clear that whatever you think is strong, God's always stronger, right? He is almighty. He is awesome. Uh, God is greater than anything in, in the universe, anything we can imagine. And yet, that mighty God is on our side. That mighty God isn't here to terrify us with his power. So glad. He's here. Yes, indeed. He's here to channel that power right into our tiny little hearts and comfort us when we're in dark places, as Israel was. Was when I in Isaiah's time when they went into exile, when we're in a dark place, God's mighty power can shine a light. When we're in a lonely place, God's almighty power shows up as our friend. When we're confused, God's almighty power shows up to give us clarity. Isaiah is saying to Israel long ago, He's going to do that for you in and after the exile, but God's going to do it for us now too. And now, as New Testament people, Daryl, we know God's going to do that through Jesus. So we have the advantage, Scott, of the whole full counsel of God, the 66 books, the Bible, and the Israelites had the Old Testament that they could refer to. And so we have an advantage knowing that we can just turn to the end of the book and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have the prophecies that have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We see that. And the writers of the New Testament have hearkened back to the Old Testament saying, see, this is where it was fulfilled. See, this is where the Messiah did this. See, this is what accurately happened. And so we can see that. And I love that we can look at the book of Revelation and see where this thing ends up and where the final power of mighty God is fully displayed. 
And again, we'll listen to these words from Revelation 5, and we're going to see some of those paradoxes we've just been talking about. John writes, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So there it is, uh, Darrell, that paradoxical combination of what you might call slain might, right? Yeah. We're looking at a lamb who's been killed. Somehow the lamb looks like he's been dead. And yet this is the one who was worthy in the song we just heard to receive power and wealth and all the rest. This is our mighty God who looks like he let himself get slain because he did. That's the irony. We talked about how it's really a great thing for a wonderful and mighty God to become very small. You talked about that yeah. in an earlier segment, how he did that microscopically. But now we're seeing life come through death. Everyone in all creation is gathered around the throne and they're worshiping this God who is mighty in battle and been faithful in all things, yet shown as a slain lamb. And it's the idea is that it would blow your mind and you would see that God is the one who is fully all powerful and able to help us in any situation. And the book of Revelation just gives us a glimpse at the end of all things to know we're going to be there worshiping him. Exactly. We talked about Psalm 8 earlier. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name over all the earth. And yet you pay attention to little old us. And yet Jesus, who is majestic, he is, he is on the throne of heaven, right? And, and this deafening chorus of worthy is the lamb sung eventually we're told by every creature on earth, under the earth, in the sea, angels, everybody's singing the song. It must be deafening. And he yet is a slain lamb in the middle of it, reminding us that he sacrificed himself and it was through that sacrifice, through his not using his power in the way the world might expect, right? Hey, if you're the son of God, they said to Jesus, jump on down, right? Or that hymn we sang, he could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him from the cross. But no, he had to let that happen so that he could take our place. And by his sacrifice, we are saved. And beautifully prophesied about. And mm -hmm. so we see that if we talk about just kind of takeaways from this episode, um, the fact that he is the one who we're waiting for. This first advent, the birth of Jesus mm -hmm. has come. We talk about it in Luke 2 quite a bit in this season and the different times we, we explain the story of his birth. We've seen that first advent. We read about it. We taught about it. But now everyone, all of creation, and I mean all of creation, is waiting for the second advent where he will come back and establish justice permanently, full love permanently, forgiveness and mercy permanently, and most of all, shalom, where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. Everyone is longing for that to happen. And because we know he's sure and he it will happen, we can have hope now. 
And resilience from that, right? In the tradition of the church, Daryl, uh, often the first Bible reading for the first Sunday in Advent is from one of the Olivet Discourses, where Jesus talks about the end of time and when he will come again on clouds of glory. So Advent, as a season, always has those two focuses, right? The Advent that was in Bethlehem, the Advent to come when he returns on clouds of glory to judge the living and the dead. And our confidence that that will happen gives us hope there's a lot in the news that could make bring you down, <laughs> a lot in the news that could make you despair on any given day, but we have hope that Christ will come back and make all things new. It's not that we're putting our hope in a politician or we're not putting our hope in our own human abilities. We're putting our hope in a God whose character never changes, never shifts like shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And because he is who he says he is and he always does what he says he can do, we can trust in his promises that he will bring this the beauty out of the ashes and he will mm-hmm. bring encouragement in discouraging situations. And we can remind one another that that we can hang in there because he's given us the ability to endure. Reminds me somewhere in the New Testament talking about Christ coming again. I think one of the apostles says, encourage one another with these words, you know, be encouraged. Or we can end on a doxological note of giving praise to God. Ephesians 3 verse 20, where Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is our mighty God. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we consider the next title Isaiah gives, the coming Messiah, Everlasting Father, and what that means for us. Connect with us now at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit the website, reframeministries.org, for more information and to find resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. <laughs>